0: Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me, to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm gonna delve into the details of their journey along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire they're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments your suggestions or your questions directly to me at ceo at raincanada.com. that is ceo at r-e-i-n canada.com and if you're inclined please share this podcast with your friends your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know rate the show and comment on itunes stitcher soundcloud or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in and while you're at it please follow me on the everyday millionaire facebook page So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Patrick Yip, serves as the Director of Business Development of AppMex and OneGold. Now, Appmex is one of the largest retailers of physical gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, and has sold over 15 billion in product over its 20 year history. OneGold is a really fast growing online precious metals platform that has processed over 750 million in transactions during its first three years in business. Now, Patrick joined AppMex in 2011 and has held roles in merchandising and sales, project management and business development. But the key is that he played a major role in the company's 250% growth in marketplaces such as eBay, Amazon and Walmart. This is a topic that really high interest to me and Patrick and I go through the conversation of why we might want to have a allocation of gold and silver or precious metals, if you will, in our portfolios. You know, talk a little bit about investment cycles and, you know, the metals industry's trends that are happening and why should investors even consider owning precious metals? So we cover all of that and even more. And if you listen in, by the way, out of the blue, he threw an offer to do a discount code that he provides near the end of the podcast. So listen in, let's get started. Patrick Yep. welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to have this conversation.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on Patrick.
0: Now let's talk about, as I always do with my guests, if somebody walks up to you who's never met you before and says, so Patrick, what do you do? What's your answer to that question these days?
1: Yeah, so I guess if, if someone asks that if, related to my career, I would say I'm the Director of Business Development at AppX of and OneGold. For people who don't know who Atmex is, we are one of the largest online precious metals retailers in the U.S. Uh, we've been in business for about 20 years and have done over $15 billion in lifetime sales. I have personally been with the company for over 11 years now. I've had roles in merchandising, sales, project management, marketplaces, and now business development. Right now, I'm currently running um, a platform called OneGold, um, which is an Atmex subsidiary. What OneGold is, it's an online investment platform that allows you to take a vaulted position of gold, silver, and platinum. And one gold has done over 750 million in transactions wow. over its first three years uh, in business. So basically a newer company and very successful. I was also involved in launching the first ever Precious Metals Rewards credit card, and it's actually called the bullion card.
0: Well, you know, something I, I recall the bullion card, that was from a long time ago. That was several years ago, was it not?
1: We were talking about it for a while. It's actually been about a, a two or three year process. Okay. Uh, we, we've talked to different banks, different payment processors, talked to Visa, talked to MasterCard. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the credit card industry is a highly regulated industry, and precious metals are kind of a little bit on the fringe for a lot of um, investors. So it, it required a lot of jumping through hoops to get this thing live.
0: Well, let's talk about precious metals. I mean, that's one of the, it's a topic that uh, I'm very, very interested in. I have uh, invested in precious metals for a number of years. And certainly given what's going on in this new global climate that we find ourselves in, the conversation around precious metals, particularly silver and gold, uh, seems to be really gaining velocity. And, uh, you know, let's kind of consider That first off, something that you said I want to go back to, which is in that AppMix, that app that you were talking about, is that actually physical gold that you're storing on somebody's behalf. So in other words, they may not have it in their hand, but it is actually physical gold or silver allocated to them.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple companies we have. We have Atmex as the parent company. We have OneGold, which is a subsidiary online investment platform. Uh, We have another company called Citadel, which is is where we store metal. And then we have our own private mint called Nine Fine uh, Mint. But The biggest company is Apex. That's the parent company. And I almost consider this like the Amazon of precious metals. We have 25,000 products in stock available to ship. Um, All of the inventory is right here in our vaults in downtown Oklahoma City, um, ready to ship. We're not going to sell you a paper promise or anything like this, but you could add things to your cart, whether it's a Gold Eagle. Gold Maple Leaf, Silver Eagle, whatever you want to put, you add it to your cart, you check out, you can pay by various payment methods, just like any other online e-commerce site. And then we'll ship that metal to you for physical delivery. So a lot of our customers uh, do that too. A A lot of people like precious metals because they're tangible, they're off the grid, they want to take possession of it, but that's high level the parent company. That's where the majority of our sales go through.
0: Now, is that also the opportunity to store it on site in your facility where it is allocated? What I guess I'm trying to get to is that, you know, there is a strong argument, I guess, or discussion, I don't know if it's an argument, but it's a strategy where you would hold gold or silver, a precious metal in any number of countries that you don't have it physically on your own site. You kind of, you may have some stored in Oklahoma or you may have some stored at another facility. But the point is, is that, the, the, the actual hard asset is the physical metals are being held in your name.
1: Yeah, so that that would be a great solution for um OneGold. So what OneGold is, it's an online investment platform. And to give you a little bit of background, so back in 2018, we actually partnered with Sprout Asset Management. They're a large alternative asset manager out of Canada. Um, I believe you're you're up there too. A lot, of, a lot of people in the resource space have heard of Sprout Asset Management. Sure. Um, but basically we partnered with them to create a modern way to own precious metals. So instead of taking possession of physical gold, which a lot of people in these age they said, I like doing everything online. I, like, what do I do with gold coins in my hat? Like, what, do I hide it? Do I put it in a safety deposit box? So we wanted to create a modern way to buy precious metals. And a lot of people call it like a Robin hood or Coinbase of precious metals because it's so intuitive and easy to use. Mm-hmm. What one gold is, as I mentioned, it allows users users to buy a vaulted position of gold, silver, and platinum, and you get to choose where you want to store it. So, if you want to store it in the U.S., is one option. You could store it at the Royal Canadian Mint in Canada. You could can store it in the U.K. or you could store it in Switzerland too. And how what one gold does to get started is we first have arrangements with various vaulting companies. So Brinks or Loomis or the Royal Canadian Mint, in Canada, we then source large 400 ounce gold bars or a thousand ounce silver bars. So these are basically the bars you see in, in movie scenes where like someone breaks into a vault sure. and you see all those gold bars and silver bars. Like obviously the movie is probably not using real bars, but it's that's, that's what it essentially looks like. We're storing these bars in a Brinks or Loomis or Royal Canadian Mint bar or Royal Canadian Mid uh, vault. We then make the metal available for sale. Um, so when you buy it, you actually have direct ownership, direct title to the metal. It doesn't appear up up on our our balance sheet either. So it's it's 100% yours. If one gold goes bankrupt, you you have that metal. Um, we actually will not sell metal that we don't own. So let's say you were a big whale and you said, hey, I want to buy um, 10, 20 million dollars of gold, and we've have we've had orders that large too. Um, we might say, hold on, we need to source more metal before we could sell it to you. So we're not going to sell. An unbacked promise, and then say, "Okay, now we got to source the metal. We need need to make sure that the metal is there, one for one. Um, It's fully insured by, like, Lloyd's of London, or in in the case of Canada, the Royal Canadian Mint. It's audited by a top five accounting firm. Um, So it's it's all." Everything is, is, is all in the up and up. Um, as I mentioned, founded by Atmex and Sprott, um, you could fund it in a variety of different ways. So you could do a bank wire, uh, bank ACH, or I think it's called the EFT over there in Canada. Mm-hmm. You could do, you could pay by credit card checks, cryptos. Um, and let's say, for example, you said, hey, this is great. And one day you said, well, things are getting a little shaky. I want my metal in my hand. We actually have a redemption option where you could swap this position in one gold for any of the 25,000 products available on Atmex.
0: So tell me a little bit about, you know, just for listeners slash viewers who are not really up to speed, have talked about or heard about precious metals, why we would want it, but give me the fundamental difference between, you know, the physical side of it. And then let's say, uh, doing paper trading on, I think it's the Com- COMEX, uh, give us, give us that distinction or the differentiation so that people can understand it.
1: Yeah. So the, the nice part about owning a physical, like, like on, on, one gold or apmex is a lot of times people own it outright. It's not leveraged. It's off the grid. It doesn't matter what happens with the metal price. You can pass it on to your kids. Um, you do whatever. If you're trading, a lot of times, if you're trading, let's say in the Comex, these are these are largely futures contracts. So they're they're leveraged. You're putting a couple thousand dollars in an account, and then you have access to hundred thousand or hundred ounces of gold. So what that means is, if the gold price goes up hey, you made a lot of money, you're basically amplifying your gain. But if the gold price goes down, you could wipe out your account. And I've, I'm, unfortunately, I've done that in the past where I've wiped out trading accounts, but you know, it was a lesson learned. Uh, but I would say that that's the largest difference between someone trading on like the COMEX versus someone actually owning physical metal.
0: Yeah. So when we look at what the kind of the COMEX is, is, to your point, is futures, and they're spo- it's supposed to be backed by actual physical, but it's actually leveraged many more times over and over, is my understanding. Am I explaining that or am I making a, a correct statement in that, Patrick?
1: Yes. A lot of times people use COMEX either for speculation. That's what a lot of traders do. Or if if you're at MEX, for example, we actually do use futures contracts to hedge our inventory. So what we're doing is, is we're essentially just buying a product for, for a premium and selling it for a slightly higher premium. We're not speculating if gold's going to go from 16 to 17, 8 to 1800, um, or or if it's going to go down. Because unfortunately, the people who don't hedge, um, they could get burned. If gold goes down from Let's say sixteen hundred to a thousand, they could get wiped out if you don't hedge. Uh, but that's that's you know some of the reasons people use um, the COMEX. The majority of people who are trading on the COMEX don't actually take physical delivery, so they're using it for like ATMEX to hedge. Or let's say you're a speculator, there is a delivery option too, where you could take delivery of the metal. I personally have not had experience with that, nor have I really had anyone who who's done it. But there is a process to do that. So supposedly the metal exists, but. I I don't know. I can't confirm.
0: (laughs) Well, at the time of this, you know, conversation that we're having today, there's a lot of conversations about silver currently being a lack of supply and What's your kind of story behind that? That's that's what I'm hearing. Uh I've noticed that my supplier of silver is, you know, okay, well we'll wait a few, you know, there's going to be a lag time before you get it and, you know, this is not available, you know, I'll we'll text you when it is available or whatever the story is. So it seems that in the precious metal world, particularly silver, there seems to be some shortages which was driven by I don't know, increased demand. I'm assuming they're mining as much as they can. Any any background in that at all, Patrick?
1: Yeah, that's a great question too. And I think it's important to talk about the retail sides first, like with coins and bars and so on like that, and then go on to the wholesale side um, with thousand ounce silver bars, uh, silver grain and all that. They're slightly different on the retail side. Let's, let's talk about like silver Eagles, for example. Uh, And the reason I mentioned silver Eagles right now is if you ever try to buy one right now, you're going to pay basically about a hundred percent premium over the metal content. Silver might be $18. You might be paying an $18 premium. And a lot of times it comes down to supply and demand too. So you look at Atmex, uh, for, first of all, so we're an authorized purchaser from the U.S. Mint. There's only a handful of companies worldwide that actually purchase directly from the U.S. Mint. And the reason is the U.S. Mint doesn't want to deal with retail investors like you and I. They want to deal with just a handful of parties. So on the supply side, we only have four more purchases from the U.S. Mint for the remainder of this year. And then if they're going to stop the productions of the 2022 coins. They're going to get the tooling ready. They're going to get ready for the 2023 coins. Uh, so there's there's a there's a limited amount of coins that we could purchase. Um, that That's high level on the supply side. On the demand side, you're seeing record demands. We're seeing, just looking at it from 2019 before COVID to now, you're seeing new customers at 2 and 3x what we've seen it in, in 2019. You're seeing sales more than double. So there's a lot of demand. Not a lot of supply, uh, and then even getting back to the supply point too. The the U.S. Mint can't get a lot of the silver blanks, so these are the like the round little discs that that before uh, before the, the product becomes a coin, it's basically it looks like a coin, but it has nothing stamped on it. So they can't get these blanks in the quantity and quality um, that they need. So getting back to premiums too, we have to we typically in an ideal case would buy everything we can from the U.S. Mint. Let's say they allocate X number of coins, we say we'll buy X number of coins. and In an ideal world, we sell less than X number of coins. So we source everything through the US Mint. In a tighter market, we have to approach a lot of these authorized dealers and say, well, we need more coins. And they're obviously in the business to make money. So they're going to say, well, I'm not going to sell you it at slightly over my US Mint price. I'm going to jack up the price way high. So then we buy it from there. And just as one Data point too is we actually bought another hundred thousand ounces of silver eagles um, just uh, last week. I think for about fifteen dollars over spot, which is wow. significantly over what we've ever. Basically, I believe it's the highest we've ever paid. And as a result, we're selling it for about eighteen dollars over spot. So people say that retailers like Atmex are gouging. I said, no, my cost went up unfortunately too, and we're just trying to make that small spread on it. But that's a little bit more on the the retail side. If that if that were if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about why precious metals, you know, when we look at what's going on, you know, in the world, why is the demand so high from your perspective, and I have my views of it, but you're the expert here, I'm gonna pick your brain about what you see in behind the scenes, Patrick, as to why are people all of a sudden going and migrating more than ever, in this case to silver, but I think gold as well, maybe not to the same degree, but give me a little bit of background on why that is.
1: Yeah, so I think we need to talk about inflation first. Um, You you look at it, it doesn't... Everywhere you look, you go to the grocery store, you turn on the news, um, you're seeing inflation as over eight percent. I believe eight point two percent is the latest number that they sure. released last month, um, which is basically the highest level in 40 plus years. So people are running to precious metals um, because they've historically been a hedge against inflation. So I've looked at a lot of data too, just saying like, okay, what can we learn from history? Looking at inflation. Um, so first of all, like it, let's let's see what happens in, in prior inflationary cycles. Um, so as I mentioned, inflation is at a forty-plus year high. So unfortunately, we have to go prior to 1980, eight, or 1980, ni- 1980 not eighteen eighty. Um, that would be way back. Um, <laughs> way back. But um, yeah, so you look at the nineteen sixties, and we had an inflationary period, and inflation hit about twelve percent, and it took the Fed nine years to resolve that. So you know, long time they couldn't get couldn't figure it out, and you know they, they resolved it for a little bit um, after in the late nineteen sixties and in the nineteen seventies we had another inflationary cycle. And that inflationary cycle took five years to resolve. So it looks like they're getting a little better. They went from nine to five, but inflation hit 14.8% back then. So the question is, okay, well, where are we in this current inflation cycle? Just last year in in January, 2021, inflation was only 1.4%. Now we're about two years into it. I personally don't think the Fed has any grasp of this anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm on that page.
1: (laughs) Best case, maybe they they figure it out in a half a year or the next year. But even at that, I don't think you're going back to 1% inflation. Maybe it gets sticky at 5 or 6% and it just stays there for a while. So with inflation here, a lot of times people are running to precious metals. And I said, well, let's also look at how different asset classes did during the inflationary cycles. So let's start by cash. Obviously, I don't recommend you hold a large position of cash right now, but maybe you do hold it just in case there are buying opportunities. But let's say... It takes five years to resolve the inflation. Five years of 8.2% inflation compounded is going to erode about 35% of your cash's purchasing power. Not a great outcome if you're holding cash. Um, And let's say inflation lasts nine years like it did in the 1960s. It's going to erode north of 55% of your purchasing power. So also not good don't recommend you hold a lot of cash right now maybe like i said maybe you hold a little bit in case there are buying opportunities for different assets i'm actually holding some cash right now uh, because i think a lot of things are going to go down but you know don't have 100% of your portfolio in cash you might get burned in the long term doing that
0: Well, I think that's, you know, that's all part of, you know, even having a plan. And, you know, you and I talked like for two minutes, you know, before we got fired up here, which is to say that, you know, we're not implying or even suggesting that anybody should go all in in any asset, including precious metals. And you have to actually have a plan to say, is precious metals even make sense for me? And if it does, you know, what percentage of an overall portfolio do I want to, add to you know so sure and, and there's all sorts of suggestions it really depends on what your goals are where you are in your life what the outcomes are, are what your intended outcome is in terms of even buying precious metals why are you doing it I, i'm assuming that from my perspective back to your point we talk about inflation and are most people buying it as a hedge on inflation there's lots of talk about you know the possibilities of you know even US at some point, not tomorrow, but at some point, even losing a reserve currency status. We're seeing the central banks around the world load up on gold, uh, You know, have really upped that game over the past few years. So there seems to be something percolating under the surface if you're paying attention to it. How do you, at least from what I've read and listened to, do you see it that way or how do you see it? You know, I look at gold. Let me just rant for one more second, not rant, but sure. go on about it. I mean, we talk about gold and even in 2008, I think it was 2008, we saw a price drop in gold, which was surprising. And then it it lifted off. It took off, you know, in the past couple of years, I think it was 2020 or sometime in 2021, gold peaked at about 2000. Then it comes back to down to 1650, you know, so having said that the stock market dropped, you know, 30 to 50%, I mean, depending on what stocks you own. And of course, Bitcoin, you know, went from 65 to 20 and, you know, a lot of assets really dropped. So although gold didn't gain, which was kind of what everybody was anticipating, it didn't lose as much It's still your best bet on the block, but what's okay. That's my kind of takeaway on the overview. What's yours, Patrick?
1: Yeah, you said a lot over there. I'm just going to try to comment on sure. a lot of it. I look at that, and you mentioned the dollar, the world reserve currency too. I think over over time, and it just depends on on how long it's. It's like it's inevitable that the dollar will re- lose its world reserve currency status, and inevitable it, it will go to zero, just like any any other fiat currency. The question is, is that imminent? You know, it could happen tomorrow. It could happen, you know, in our grandkids' lifetimes. I I don't know, right? It it, it will happen eventually, just like every other fiat currency eventually goes to zero. It's just you can't have a currency that's not backed by anything, and you can't have crazy government policies where they're just printing this thing to to basically no end. Um, Well, and
0: I I think on on top of that, it's not just the U.S. It's every central bank in the world, basically, or at least 98% of them. I mean, I, I think we have to kind of really shine a light on that part of it as well as how much currency is flooding this market.
1: Yeah. And, and that's an interesting thing too, because you even look at the dollar and you look at the dollar represented by the dollar index and it's rallying compared to all other currencies. And it doesn't mean it's going up. It's just going down less than some of the other currencies too. They're all at a race to the bottom. It's just how quickly can they all get there? Uh, but I think you you look at that too. You look at what you believe is the likelihood of the dollar going away or the dollar, dollar losing a significant amount of its purchasing power. And you make the I guess the, the counterpoint of, of how much gold do you want to ho- own? If you think the dollar is going to last around forever, maybe you don't own gold. Mm-hmm. If you say, Hey, this dollar is going to crash and the crazy government policies, like you said, across the world are not you know supportive of fiat currencies. Maybe you're a little heavier in gold. Uh, it it, it de- really depends on your outlook.
0: Well, we have to develop a thesis at some point, and that's not easy to do because there's such a mix of information and views and all the rest of it. When you look at gold, it's, it's, You know, really, there's no industrial application for it that I can think of. There may be, but basically it's money, jewelry, that kind of thing, whereas silver has an industrial application. So when you look at silver and gold and if somebody is saying, well, maybe I should put a little bit of precious metal in my portfolio, what's your thoughts and why would they choose one or over the other or do they balance it Yeah, What's your experience in that, Patrick? Yeah.
1: So I almost look at gold as like your large cap stock. It's your more stable precious metals investment. And it is more volatile than any large cap stock. Let me make make that clear too. Sure. It is it's still still a pretty volatile asset. Uh, and silver, I look at as almost like your, your small cap stock. So let's say the precious metals market go up. Gold goes up 1%, silver may go up 2%. It's just that like that large cap versus stock small cap relationship. Similarly, if gold went down 1%, silver might be down 2%. Um, so a lot of times people look at it if they're bullish on gold, if they said I want a little bit more upside, maybe I get involved in silver. There's actually an interesting thing that I I looked at, too, because I like using data. I'm a a data junkie. And I said, well, what is the best allocation of gold using history? And I could get into that, too, if, if you care to hear it. So we looked at it. And a lot of times, if you ask a financial planner to say, okay, well, what should I get involved in? Typically, the financial planner is going to say, hey, you should probably get involved in some stocks and some bonds. And he or she may recommend an allocation of 60% stocks, 40% bonds. I mean, everyone has heard something similar to that. Uh, So I looked at the last 50 years. um, So from 1970 up until now, a little over 50 years now. um, And then looking at the 10 year average return. So I don't want to penalize stocks in 2008, nor do I want to reward gold in 2011 or something. I want to say, okay, what if your holding period is 10 years or more? You want to basically normalize some of these short-term spikes and so on like that. Your stock portfolio, 100% stock portfolio on a real return basis is going to return about 7% and then it has a standard deviation of about 5%. So Your standard deviation is basically your volatility or how well you could sleep at night. That's what I like to say too. It's like, you don't want something that's going to go up 50% and down 50%. You're going to drive yourself crazy. Your bond portfolio, 100% in bonds is going to return a 5% real return and a 3% standard deviation. So 2% lower, st- lower return, 2% lower standard deviation. If you did an 80% S&P portfolio and a 20% gold portfolio so you basically swapped out your your bonds with gold that return is now 6.7 percent of real return so 30 basis points or 0.3 percent lower than your stock portfolio 100 stock portfolio but a standard deviation of 2.7 percent so lower than your bond portfolio uh, that's what history says the big question is will history repeat time will tell but that's that's what the data says
0: well i i love data myself you know because what i've learned this many years into it is that i've made some really bad mistakes because of emotional decisions and so i try and just get regrounded in the data and that helps a lot but it's hard not to get caught in the emotionality of what's happening you know in you know today given what the pandemic drove you know or the decisions i don't want to blame it on the pandemic or on covid i look at it and go It's more the decisions that were made in how to handle all of it that really caused the problem, not the problem itself. So that's an an aside. When we look at gold and silver and, you know, one of the things that I've heard and which is kind of different, I'm a bit of a fan of Jim Rickards, for example. He's one of the guys that I follow. And he gave some really sage advice, I think. And he said, you know, it used to be that, you would hold a diversified portfolio and that diversified portfolio would represent, you know, 20, 30, 40, whatever stocks, and they would be different industries, if you will. And you would look at different risks and blue chip versus, you know, not blue chip, that kind of thing. He goes, that's not, he says, that isn't the case today. He says, you, a diversified portfolio is going to look like, probably some stocks, definitely some precious metals, maybe even some Bitcoin, although he's not a big believer in Bitcoin. But the diversification to really hedge against what's happening is the diversification in where you're going to place your assets or place your capital, what assets you're going to own. In what I've learned over the years that has helped me shift a little bit how I look at precious metals is I don't look at it as an investment. I look at it as insurance. And that's kind of my view of it. I don't look at it as, okay, I'm going to ride this thing to a high. I'm looking at it as as we deal with inflation or, or a devaluation of whatever fiat currency you're dealing with, gold particularly, but gold and silver are a hedge against that. Is that how you look at it? Or do you actually hold it as an investment, Patrick?
1: No, I I look at it as as money. So obviously you have different currencies. You have the Canadian dollar, US sure. dollar, euro. I almost say that gold and silver are money that cannot be manipulated easily by a central bank. Hmm. So you look at the crazy government policies, as we mentioned, just giving out money left and right, stimulus checks, student loan forgiveness, just like endless amounts of money. Unfortunately, with gold or, or silver, I guess unfortunately for them, and, and I guess it's a good thing for retail investors is you can't just print gold out of, out of thin air. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to click a couple of buttons and here you go. A ton of gold disappeared. It's not possible. It requires a lot of, a lot of labor, a lot of, a lot of resources to pull it out of the ground. So I almost look at it too. Like, like I said, as money, I would de- definitely not recommend that you put like hundred percent. in, as we mentioned, there's certain, there's certain assets you should hold. If you're looking for cash flow. maybe it's, it's rental real estate. Yep. If you want to, if you want to, you know, something like, like a stable value, gold is good, but I don't expect gold to, I don't look at it as an investment. I'm not one of these people who are saying, hey, $20,000 gold and and $1,000 silver. Maybe it does happen. I think over time, eventually, maybe if the dollar keeps on going down, it does happen, but I'm not hoping for that in the next several years.
0: Well, I think it's it's interesting, right? Is that, you know, back to, you know, the purpose, it's money, right? And perhaps people can give a context in that if you're going to have dollars, fiat currency in the bank, you know what is being eaten away on a regular basis. And when you have precious metals, consider that rather than having a savings account in the bank, you may take a portion of that savings and actually hold that savings in precious metals. That's kind of how I look at it, which is yeah. that's the hedge.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So tell me a little bit about, you know, AppMex. How did you get involved in it? What was your journey to this and precious metals? You know, did you grow up thinking precious metals, you know, was your dad a gold bug? How did you find yourself where you are today?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So it all started back in 2008. So back then, I was just working a normal job. I had your typical portfolio of stocks and bonds. Uh, didn't see the financial crisis hitting, just like many of many people didn't see it. So I was just riding the wave and sure enough, the financial crisis hit and my 401k got chopped in half. And now I look back, I look back, it, it's actually something good because it's taught me a lot. It, it's actually been kind of a pivot on my life. But back then it was pretty painful uh, to see your assets get chopped in half. Now I kind of joke that the 401k became a 201k, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I've not heard that, believe it or not. That's good.
1: <laughs> but so anyway, like I had, I went to my financial advisor and said, what happened? Like, like surely someone saw that. And it's true. And people did see it. It's just the the mainstream investment community didn't see it. And, you know, I recall him saying, hey, no one could have predicted that crash or that crash was kind of a black swan event. And, And so, you know, it got me looking into a lot of different investments, got me looking into Austrian economics and the free markets. And then, as you mentioned, in 2008, gold actually corrected with the stock market. But for the year, it was actually positive, unlike stocks, which were down 40 50%. So got me into precious metals. Um, in the years after 2008, I started becoming more and more interested in precious metals. Um, I was actually working for myself in 2011, um, doing brokering um, commercial aircraft deals too. But, you know, so, so I was making some money, but the money wasn't stable. And I was just I had some dead time. So I went on atMEX.com. I was actually a retail customer buying precious metals because I said, Hey, this is probably a good long-term investment. Um, I clicked the career section and said, Hey, why not? I just applied and, and sure enough, got interviewed and, and I was dating my now wife, but my girlfriend at that time, I was like, Hey, what do you think of Oklahoma city? And, and we were in LA, she was born and raised in LA. So she's like, what's in Oklahoma city Uh, thinking that we're going to drive around tractors and live in a farm, but uh, we moved out in 2011 and and love it ever since.
0: Well, I mean, you got to look at what's going on in California today and be really happy. You're still not in California.
1: Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's funny too, because I mean, I, I still have a lot of family in California too. and, And, I'm just seeing a lot of things. It's just, it's going definitely the wrong way. And I like watches too. I like wrist watches. I like luxury watches. And sometimes I watch some of these, these different watch communities, YouTube videos. And it seems like LA is, is like a hotbed for watch robbery. And like, I mean, I lived in studio city, um, just North of the Hollywood Hills. So Beverly Hills wasn't that far from me just on the other side of the Hills. Uh, but Beverly Hills was always a bubble. Like you were safe. Like you could, you could leave your car unlocked. I mean, you could wear a you know, six-figure watch, you could have diamonds all over you. No one ever did anything to you. Uh, but now you're hearing it, and there's a lot of people getting robbed, uh, a lot of gunpoint robberies. Um, I've heard that that someone draw a gun, drew a gun in a Beverly Hills restaurant. I heard another time someone, you know, pulled a gun and someone taking pictures of their McLaren. Uh, just crazy. Like, you know, just not, not what I remembered of California uh, before I moved out. Of-
0: well, it's because of this change of events, actually, that everybody – You know is has to look at I shouldn't say everybody it's important to look at the world through a different set of filters because things are definitely changing you know when we look at and talk about precious metals of course i'm a real estate investor and you know the community that i speak to is also real estate investors primarily but having said that you know a lot of the uh, sophisticated real estate investors are also savvy in terms of their own diversification and where they park capital and i know precious metals is an area of interest to many when i say that you know you're in it I'm minute it, it's like everybody's investing in gold and silver but the reality of it is is, is i think the stat was like one percent of the population of investors or less than one percent actually invest in precious metals and you never hear about it or rarely hear about it on mainstream media any thoughts or kind of philosophy explanation for that patrick
1: yeah, I, I think you bring up a couple of points there in terms of the in general public investing in precious metals. So as I mentioned, Atmex is one of the largest online retailers in the U.S. Um, and then I think the U.S. has—I don't know what the current population is—almost 400 million, let's say, um, somewhere around there. I, I don't know the latest stats, but we have about two million email addresses in our database, and not all these two million customers have purchased. Some people just put put their name down. Now they get emails from us, but they've never purchased. But it just shows you too that like let's assume, let's be conservative. Let's say all 2 million of these customers purchase. And this is 2 million across, you know, everywhere. We have 2 million in the US, Canada, like this is cu- customers all over the world. It just gives you a, a, an idea of the percentage of the population that is even remotely interested in precious metals, which I would say is definitely very, very small. I think if, if I've heard certain stats too. You look back at the, the 1980s, or for, for example, when gold hit $850. I believe that there, the stats were something around like 2% of the public was in precious metals, but clearly we're nowhere near there.
0: Well, it is, it's something, you know, that we, I, you know, I, I think given the shortage right now or the increase in demand already at, at the retail level, I don't know what it is in terms of industrial application if the demand has increased. Uh, I'm assuming yes, uh, but has it?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that you bring up a good point too on the wholesale side too. So I could get a l- little bit into like the thousand ounce silver bars and the, the silver grain too. So we source thousand ounce silver bars for our one gold platform. As I mentioned, this is where we get the big bars, we throw it in a vault and so on like that. So far, right now, what I can tell you is premiums have gone up and supply is getting tighter um, with lead times longer. And what I mean by premiums is, So, you have the raw commodity prices, so the silver price, and we have to pay a small markup over that to get it delivered in in the form we need it to be. Uh, It's just like you can look at, at, let's say, um, coffee, for example. I don't know what coffee is trading for, but let's say $2 a pound. Well, you can't go to Starbucks and get coffee at $2 a pound. It's just not possible. You have all those. The, the the whole supply chain it needs to be you know put into bags made and all that stuff and by the time you're buying a cup of coffee from Starbucks it's way over that so when I'm talking about a premium on silver this is a small markup over the commodity value so back in 2019 we were able to get thousand ounce silver bars for about three cents over the silver price and now it's about thirty four cents over the silver price so a ten x higher premium over there um, like I mentioned there's more delays now uh, but on the one gold side we're able to source basically what we need on the thousand ounce silver bars but if I shift to silver grain so this is a little little pellets of silver too um that is made into different products and we have a subsidiary called Nine Fine Mint where we make a lot of products too so we make silver bars we make silver rounds and so on like that right now i could tell you that the the silver grain is extremely tight we actually had to reach out to all our different partners where we source silver grain and for the most part we're getting what we need we need, but we're still a little short. And what nine fine mint does is it mints about 200,000, um, or not 22, um, yeah, two 200, two 200,000 ounces of silver, um, every week is, is what we're running at for the last couple of weeks. So just gives you an idea, but we can't currently meet our needs with silver grain. Um, so it is very tight on the wholesale side
0: now when you buy a thousand ounce bar you're not able to do anything else with it you're not in any other you're literally the middle for wholesaling or retailing that silver is that correct you're not taking a thousand ounce bar cutting it into smaller pieces in order to retail it is that correct
1: Yeah. So there's two parts. So like with one gold, what we're doing is we're just buying that thousand ounce silver bar and throwing it at a Brinks or Lumen's vault. And then we make it available for sale. And then the customers own either a part or a whole bar or whatever, depending on their allocation. That's what one gold is. On Apex is a little different because we do retail out our products. So on one side, you could, we could sell a thousand ounce silver bar. I probably would not recommend anyone buy one because it's hard to authenticate, especially when you lose that chain of custody and that supply chain, as soon as it goes out of our facility, We don't know who, you know, who's tampered with it, if it's authentic or or something like that. But in some cases, we do make the 1,000-ounce silver bars, like, through 9 Fine Mid into smaller retail products, like 1-ounce rounds, 10-ounce bars, and so on like that.
0: So tell me something, though, is that when we look at what's happening with silver today, you know, we – spot isn't really changing. You know, spot price has been pretty much, you know – 18, 19, you know, drop to 17, whatever the numbers are, it's really the premiums. So I'm trying to understand the spread of premiums when spot really hasn't changed. Can you give us some insights into that, Patrick?
1: Yeah, I would say a lot of times on the retail side, the premiums are driven by a lot of supply chain issues too. So, for example, looking at the U.S. silver eagle, like I mentioned, is is trading for about double its its silver content. Eighteen dollar premium, eighteen dollar spot. They can't. The U.S. Mint cannot currently get enough blanks that that to, to make these coins. And just to take a step back, I mean, let's talk about like a little bit of the supply chain. So first you have a mining company, they pull the silver out of the ground. They then make it into like what they call like Dory bar. So maybe it's 80% pure silver. And then they ship this bar off to like a refinery. The refinery then takes this, this bar and then it, it refines it. So it's, they, obviously no one wants an 80% silver bar, 80% silver. That's, that's not what you want to own. So they (laughs) refine it to like 99.9% pure or 99.99% pure. Uh, They now have large bars. And then from there, it gets shipped to like another company that basically manufactures the blank. So these large bars are then pressed and put into large sheets. So little flat, flat sheets that basically are the same diameter or same thickness of what a coin or round should be. And then from there, they have machines that stamp it out and they make little circular silver disks, which are called blanks. Um, and then after that, the blanks are then, let's say the blanks from the the minting company is sent to the US Mint. They they make coins and then the coins are then sent to a, a retailer like Atmex. But where the supply chain is currently stressed right now is in that blanking process. As you can imagine, there's there's a lot of controls. There's a lot of Like, you can't just have a thousand ounce silver bar. You have to make sure that the metal is the right thickness. It's the right size. It's one ounce so that when you order a one ounce silver coin, it weighs one ounce and doesn't weigh 0.99 ounces. And someone's like, yeah, close enough.
0: Like, yeah. Somebody's having a bad day on the line. That's good. Uh, Let it go.
1: Yeah. So uh, there's that process that, that takes a lot of time, takes a lot of resources. And that's where the supply chain is. Is basically stress. So if you look on one extreme end, you have that silver eagle for $18 over, over spot. And then on the other end, you have that thousand-ounce silver bar, which is trading at let's say 34 cents over spot. So right now I could tell you there is no silver shortage. Um, I know some people like to say that, but you know, it it is available at least for what our needs are, and, and I can say we're not you know, we're not a small player, but we're not like a massive player. Um, we're, we're a reasonable size player. Um, we've, we, we, we're on track to hit over 2 billion in sales, um, uh, this year for precious metals. So it gives you an idea to, to say like, okay, well it's meeting our needs. I can't say that, that there was one time, um, uh, and I believe it was 2021, I believe all these years blend in together, uh, where we had a silver squeeze and, and for the people who don't know what the silver squeeze was, was it was a lot of these, um, people who got into like wall street bets and they started, they wanted to squeeze AMC to see how it like there was a large short position yeah. with a lot. I don't know who was holding the short position, but the thought was a lot of people would buy AMC. And it would force the, the people who are short or basically betting for the price to go down to cover and they basically need to buy back their shares and it's going to cause the price to spike up. So that's, that's what happened in AMC, but there's a large short position in silver. And the thought was people are just like, I want to squeeze the silver market. So what they did back in that 2021 time was they wanted to buy as much silver as they could from like. Different um, dealers like AppMax buy it off the exchange, um, just in whatever way they could do to take silver off the market. And during that time, what was interesting too is when we went to our wholesale contacts trying to buy a thousand ounce silver bars for one gold and trying to buy silver grain, we were informed that there is none available at that point. So, just a little interesting thing I could say right now, the supply chain works, but back then, something broke. I don't unfortunately have a ton of insight on there, but I can just tell you from back then for our needs, um, something broke.
0: So, okay, but let's talk a little bit about this, because when we consider that, you know, you're saying that from your perspective, there's not really a silver shortage. You get what you need, but do you get what you need for the retail investor? You know, we talk about Eagles or I don't know what the availability of Buffalo or whatever might be the different retail type buyers seem to be bumping up against i know even here if we go to the canadian mint there's shortages there's a whole bunch of things that they don't have available they don't even tell you when they might be available on your side of the equation however you're doing you're more looking at it from a wholesale perspective am i am i reading this correctly yeah, so every part of the
1: business has different needs. Like, like, like I said, one gold and nine fine, pulled directly from the wholesale market. So they want bulk silver, a thousand ounce silver bars, silver grain, stuff like that. And then on the Atmex side, we're looking at the retail market. So we're we're buying the silver Canadian Maple Leaves, the silver eagles, minting the buffalo rounds, the silver bars, and so on like that. So they have a slightly different uh, market d- dynamic. But I mean, we, I can tell you that inventory is getting tighter on both sides. Uh, but right now, it seems to be seems to be working reasonably well for us.
0: So tell me a little bit about maples because, you know, being in Canada here now, one of, you know, the Canadian maple, of course, also had the queen on one side of it. You know, what does that mean now that the queen's moved on, soon we're going to have a king? Does that change the value of anybody that's holding those particular types of coins or was there so many in the market that doesn't really shift or doesn't matter that she'll no longer be on the coin?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think this is a good time to bring up a little bit about the different products. Yeah. So there's what we call a bullion product. So this is the uh, like a product that's going to trade for slightly over the market value. So basically, it's going to follow the price of gold and follow the price of silver. And when I say slightly over, that's your premium uh, that's involved in making, minting, manufacturing, shipping, and all that coin. Like it's not possible to to buy a, a large quantity of Canadian maple leaves at spot because the Royal Canadian Mint doesn't even charge us spot. we buy directly from them. They have to put in their processes, their labors, and so on like that to, to make this coin, and they charge us a markup. Uh, but with a Canadian Maple Leaf, a lot of those are what we call like bullion coins. So they trade for um, close to the commodity price. And when you know they, they remove the queen, they put the king on there and the future coins, I don't know exactly when that's going to happen. I would assume maybe I don't. I don't know how long it takes for them to get the tooling done. Neither, maybe, yeah. it. maybe it's next year. Maybe it's the following year. Um, I'm not. I'm not an expert. I can't say that. I, I've. I've never worked. A...
0: Maybe it depends on what agreement they have with the palace. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Th- th- <laughs> there you go. But they, they've made. They've made a lot of these coins too. Sure. Like uh, on the maples, they, they could make a couple hundred thousand gold maples a year. On the on the silver side, they're making tens of millions of these a year. Um, so if if there's a queen, if there's a king on it, there's Doesn't probably probably doesn't matter, but we also have, um, semi-numismatic coins, which is what we call like basically numismatic is, is a fancy Greek term. It just basically means like the study of coins, but, um, semi-numismatic we call as as like, they, they, they generally trade with the price of gold and silver, but they do have a little bit of collector value. Mm -hmm. So in the U S we have $20 $20 St. Gaudens, $20 liberties. Um, they, these are the coins that the U S had before 1933. So these were the, the currency in circulation. Then, um, obviously those coins are over hundred years old now. So they do have a little bit of, of a premium too, because they don't make them anymore. Unlike the Canadian maple Leafs, where, guess what next year, they're going to make more. Um, there's no shortage of these things. And then on the far end too, is you have what we call like pure numismatics. And that's where you have a complete collector um, coin so this is like almost like rare art like a picasso or something like that like you're buying this not because it's made out of gold or made out of silver you're buying it because there's only 10 of these in existence and some of these coins some of these rare coins could trade for millions
0: well i guess then at that point though you know before somebody starts buying that type of coin you really have to kind of study and understand what the collectibilities of something are to your point you know a uh, a Canadian maple, they make millions of them. It really is at that point just money. It's just that's it. You know, there's nothing there. When you're looking in, you're kind of, I know you don't advise or give advice. That's not the point of all of this. But when you're speaking in a to a group like this, are you suggesting that people look at specific coins in terms of the collectability of them? Do you suggest that? that might be something to consider if there is a shortage in a, you know, in an eagle or a buffalo or a Canadian maple, that maybe it doesn't hurt to go and pay a bit of a, more of a premium for some type of a collectible. And then of course, always assuming that you're dealing with an absolutely legitimate dealer. Um, That's, you know, I think that has to be one of the, the key assumptions there is that if you're not dealing with a, a legitimate dealer. If you're doing personal kind of stuff, you got to be really careful, I guess, and know what you're doing.
1: Yeah. For any new investor, I would first recommend that you just stick with bullion. Don't get into a lot of the collector stuff too. I mean, there's people who make a living off this collector stuff and there's people who get burned on this collector stuff. So I'd hate to have anyone who says, okay, I'm going to try to do this collector stuff. And you realize you paid way over and then you try to sell it and you get burned. Um, Don't want to hear that story, but so focus on the bullion side. Uh, what I would recommend you do to, uh, first of all, is to stick with some of the most popular coins, uh, coins and, and bars. So on the gold side, you have the gold American Eagle is one of the popular ones. The gold Canadian Maple Leaf is also a popular one. Uh, the one ounce gold bars, such as the Pamp Swiss bar, the credit Swiss bar, those are extremely popular. And the gold Krugerrand is also another um, widely traded coin. So I would stick with something like that on the gold side. You really can't go wrong with that. Those generally trade for a small premium over the, the gold price. And then moving on to the silver side, I would stick with, normally I would say silver eagles. Unfortunately, I'm not attracted to silver eagles right now just because of the high premiums. So I would say, look at your Canadian maple leaves, your silver Canadian maple leaves, maybe look at your 10 ounce silver bars, your hundred ounce silver bars, just some of the the stuff that is a little lower premium. So, you know, stick with bullion, stick with the well-known coins. And the last thing I would say is look at the spread. And by spread, I mean like what you buy it for versus what you could sell it for. And any dealer would gladly tell you, and you could call up Atmex If you have questions, if you're new, we have a a sales and customer service team. You could ask to say, Hey, if I bought a gold Eagle today, what are you charging? And let's say I sold it back to you during the same day. What would you pay? Um, And then obviously any dealer is going to have a markup that we might say, Hey, we'll pay you or you could buy the coin for a hundred dollars over the gold price. And that's the small premium. And then we'll buy it back from you at $40 over the gold price. So you could say, okay, that has a $60 spread. Um, okay. What is it on the maple? What is it on the, on the gold bar? Uh, you want to basically make sure that you're getting a good spread. I think another thing that a lot of times, beginners get into as they look into some weird products. Maybe they said, hey, I'm going to buy a lot of 20 Swiss francs, um, which is a decent coin, but definitely not as popular as a gold eagle or or a gold maple leaf. They get into a lot of this stuff and they said, I got it for basically the price of gold. So they said, I got an amazing deal. And then they try to sell it and the dealer is like, well, I'll pay you like 90% of the gold price or I'll pay you 95% of the gold price. Mm. And by the time they try to sell it, you would have been better off just buying an eagle or buying a maple leaf.
0: Well, I guess that that boils down to, you know, why are you buying it and why are you selling it? You know, at the end of the day, if you're looking at this as a long term hold, ultimately, you're hoping that you don't have to sell it. Uh, And if you do, by that time, you know, gold and or silver have gone up in price and you're ahead of the game anyways. That's that's how I kind of look at it. But you know, one of the the things that I often hear from people who don't invest in gold or silver, it's like, yeah, I don't get it. Like why, you know, why would I buy, you know, what am I going to do? Go to the store and buy, a, you know, buy milk with a gold coin, <laughs> you know, so explain from your perspective, I have my, you know, how I explain it, but you're the expert here. What is, how do you explain to somebody that, no, it's not quite the way it works or it's not the way it works at all, actually, but what's, how would you explain it in that case, Patrick?
1: Yeah, so I would say getting back to our our topic about gold being money. So if you let's say I gave you a hundred euro note today, and you said, okay, you're in Canada, you try to spend it, and someone's going to look at you, we don't accept euros here, and they're going to send you off your way. Doesn't mean the euros are worthless. Doesn't mean you need to throw it away or do whatever. It just it doesn't. You can't use it at that given time. Same thing with me. I'm in the U.S. I can't spend euros. If you gave me Canadian dollars, guess what? Can't spend it here either. So I look at it too, like it's like we said, it's money without a country. It was actually years ago. I was in Brussels. Um, and I, we were just, I was there with my wife and we were just in, in that the main square area and I needed more euros. So like, I, I was like bringing cash every time I go on vacation. So I got a couple hundred dollar bills, um, gave it to the, the currency exchange thing. And I was looking at the currency exchange board and at the bottom, obviously they had your Canadian dollars your us dollars your British pounds and so on. It said Kruger red, gold, maple, gold Eagle, and it had a price over there, um, so it's actually kind of interesting. So it's like, yeah, you can't spend your gold, you can't eat your gold, but it doesn't mean it's it's worldless.
0: Well, I think I think what you said is really relevant, which is it's acceptable as currency in any country in the world. I don't know of now there probably is, but I don't know of anybody that if you had a. Uh, A gold coin, that they wouldn't convert it into that country's currency. And that's really what you're doing at any given time. If you've got to get liquid, you're actually walking into whatever dealer or bank or or selling it on the street, whatever it is, but you're selling it for the currency of the country that you're happened to be in.
1: That's correct. And there's actually a story. I don't know exactly how it goes, but I know that there was There was one point in time where they would actually have gold coins and they would sew them into like the, the, the uniforms of military, especially if they were going overseas, because gold has that value. Um, Any country in the world, whether you're in Asia, you're in the Middle East, you're in North America you're in Australia, people know what gold is Um, and it has a value and you could easily get out of it. You don't want to, you don't want to have like a certain currency and maybe that currency, let's say you're, you have us dollars and you happen to be in the Middle East and certain countries don't like the U.S. over there. It's like probably not the best currency to have, whereas gold, is it's neutral.
0: So tell me if you know the answer to this. I'm curious because I don't know the answer is if I'm traveling to U.S. Let's say I'm coming from Canada into the U.S. I'm supposed to be claiming anything over 10 grand. I'm supposed to let them know, hey, by the way, I've got more than 10 grand do they hold gold or do they look at gold as a currency or am i just walking in if i walk in with 10 gold coins what are they saying you got to claim that i I don't know the rules around it
1: i think a lot of that's going to depend on your customs agent Ah. like i guess i've heard stories where they people say oh it's valued off its face value i've also heard stories that someone says hey i'm carrying." six gold eagles and they happen to be worth north of $10,000. And even though the gold eagles have a $50 face value on it, obviously the commodity value is worth well north of $10,000 that they get pulled in the side. I have not had a ton of experience traveling internationally with gold coins, but I could say when I did move from California to Oklahoma city, I did move um, a portion of my my physical metals um, through the airport and it's actually funny if you ever x-ray gold coins or silver coins they're so dense that it just appears as a big black blob on the, on yeah. the, the x-ray uh, machine so a lot of times they pull you in the side they're like what is that well, I've, um, so,
0: I've had that experience by the way it was interesting and I was just tra- traveling domestically and my brother-in-law had given me a couple, couple of tubes of, uh, of silver coins and I came through customs and or not through customs uh, through security and he looked at me and he actually he actually said to me he goes are those silver coins i go well, i wish they were gold but they are silver he goes yeah that's what it shows up in the x-ray and only because he yeah. knew what it was because to your point yeah. they don't they just show up as big black blobs and you know he had me he made me pull it out and just to show him but it wasn't it wasn't an issue but that's how they show up in the x-ray machine
1: yeah. And I have traveled with well north of $10,000 domestically, never an issue. Obviously the, the yeah. TSA person might just say, okay, well that's, that's gold to or silver. One time I got pulled inside. He's the guy, I had gold maple leaves. I actually like maple leaves because they are four nines pure because they're, they're more pure than the Eagle. So I personally like maple leaves, but the guy was like, Oh yeah, I have some Rands and you know, it was kind of, kind of neat.
0: Well, there's a, you know, there's an, an interesting part of gold, you know, we'll use the gold story and I'm sure you've heard this, you know, given you're in the industry, but it was a, it's an interesting story that was shared with me a long time ago around gold and, you know, back in, let's say the twenties and the thirties, you know, gold would buy you a suit, a meal and a hotel room and, you know, one gold coin. And then you put that gold coin away and come ahead, you know, 50 years or a hundred years, whatever that might be. And ultimately, a gold coin today continues to buy you a suit, a meal, and a hotel room. And it's interesting when you look at it that way. And the whole story was wrapped around, you know, my grandfather took, you know, a gold coin and put it in a box and said, you know, I'm going to save this for my great-grandchildren and he also took a 20 dollars bill which was just an astronomical amount of money back at that time and he goes I'm going to suck it up I'm going to put 20 bucks in there too you know come ahead 50 75 years and you open the box and that gold coin will buy like i say the suit it'll buy the you know the hotel room and it'll buy a meal and the 20 bucks will buy a coffee at starbucks and and that was a yep. real great illustration of you know what the precious metal parts of a an investment portfolio may represent and i thought it was just a great story that i've shared a few times have you ever heard that story before by the way it seems to be yeah in-
1: i actually have too and, and and that's that's another thing too that i think is, is nice about precious metals too because i personally hold it a lot of it i don't plan on selling i hope to give it to my kid sometime mm-hmm. if i look at it i mean my kid's four so like obviously he still has a, a long time but when i give it to him too I'm hoping that it it has value. And another thing, too, with gold, too, is since it's tangible, it's private, um, no one needs to know. The government doesn't need to know that you're giving it to your kid. There is no inheritance tax. You just pass it along and say, here you go. Um, So it's, it's, it's it's a nice feature.
0: So go back and tell me a little bit about, you know, you talked about you were interested in precious metals. You got on the journey you got on. Where did your interest in precious metals kind of what brought it up for you? Like, why did you actually start looking at precious metals as a part of your investment portfolio? And the interest that you know ultimately drew you into this line of work?
1: Yeah, so just going back to that 2008 time, I was just looking. I was like, well, what what performed? Uh, I was looking. Stocks were down. I believe bonds were down. It's just everyone's portfolio got chopped in half. And then I started talking to a whole bunch of different friends is like, well, what, what do you, what do you do? Obviously you had the real estate crisis around then too. I said, there has to be something that did well. And then it, it, I found gold. I, I found the, just started looking into economics, started looking into Austrian economics and, and you know, how the government just manipulates the money system. And, and it just it got me digging down this massive rabbit hole of how basically money works. Um, And then it it, it got me to explore this. And and I personally like hard assets now just because it's, um, I'm skeptical long-term whether the U.S. dollar is going to hold its value in 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, time will tell.
0: Well, I think, you know, at the, you know, as we sit here today, there's a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of central bank challenges right around the world. And, you know, there is certainly a lot of, uncertainty with what's going to happen with fiat currency overall will we actually go to a cbdc and what will that mean and uh you know central bank digital currencies i mean that's a conversation that's being had a lot and how do we hedge even or protect ourselves should we go that direction nobody has any idea by the way and it's all speculation as to You know, I don't think it's speculation as to will they roll it out. I think that's a done deal. It's just now a case of time and what it's going to look like. Then it's a case of, you know, what do I do in the meantime? And how do we how do we work around the system? Because ultimately, as entrepreneurs, we're always trying to work outside the system a little bit. I mean, we just the last thing we need is more government control from my point of view. Yet that seems to be the direction we're going. Uh, Are you familiar with CBDCs? Have you done any research around it at all, Patrick?
1: I have not, but I did hear that, that I, I, and I believe it's in China where they're trying to roll it out and you almost have these like social credit scores too. So like if you're a good citizen, that then you, you could do certain things. And if, if, let's say you've defaulted on a debt and they said, okay, well, this guy's no good, then you get blocked from certain things. It's kind of a scary world to think that the government could have that much control.
0: So in China, by the way, they're not trying to, they have. It's just a case of, you know, of course, you know, when you're talking about China and how big it is, it is literally multi-millions of people in many, many cities. And I have yeah, I have contacts there and expats that live there. The point is, is that it's, you don't do anything over there anymore without your phone. They know exactly what you're doing. You're If you walk into a building, you're often having to flash your phone to, uh, so they read that Q code and they are ultimately doing facial recognition, even at the airports. And so that's happening right now in social credit scores. We've had friends, we were in China, geez, one was three years ago, I guess. And uh, a friend of ours who was living there uh, said, well, I'll meet you in Shanghai. We said, great. So she had to drop, jump on the train and it's like a four hour train ride, but she's going to come. She really wants to see us. And she goes to buy a business class ticket and they wouldn't sell her one it was blanked out. So in other words, it was grayed out. The button says business class was grayed out. And she's going, oh, I wonder if it's oversold. Guess what? It was a, a social credit thing for her because of a dispute that she had had with the bank. And I went, oh, and she was like, what the hell, right? Like, it, But that's what they were yeah. doing. And that was three years ago. And so they've come a long way since then even. So it's an interesting time for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, just, it's scary with a lot of this government control. And who knows if a lot of these records are are accurate, too. Like it, I mentioned earlier in this this call, too, we, we talked about the bullion card and, and the precious metals rewards credit card. I personally haven't applied for a credit card in north of 15 years, but I got one. One of my coworkers got one, too. And with the bank's process, some some credit, some customers are what they call auto-approved. And some go through manual review, which is basically the an underwriting team has to look at your credit, look at all this stuff. And one of my coworkers got flagged for manual review because they said he had a dispute three years ago where he did a chargeback and he's like, I don't even know what that was for. (laughs) And and like, I mean, just it's it's scary when you think about it. Like, let's say you went to a merchant and they charge you twice. You charge 50 bucks on on Target and they're like, oh, your credit card didn't go through. So could you stick it in again? You stick it again and before you know it, you got two fifty dollar charges. And you said, Well, I only bought one fifty dollar purchase. I didn't buy two. So so you dispute it and it was a perfectly legitimate dispute yeah. because you got charged twice. But then that somehow flags you in the system and messes up your social credit score. I mean, that's scary to me.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, listen. Let's face it. You know, when we look at governments around the world, it's not like they have a track record of huge success. And of course, when we even consider what's been going on the past few years, uh, it's anything but that. So, as we kind of wind down here, Patrick, you know, what is the guidance, or what is some additional thoughts around precious metals, around? Appex or One Gold or whatever it might be that you would want to share with listeners today in terms of insights or some how about some profound wisdom? Have you got any kind of hiding in the corners of your mind there?
1: Yeah, I would say definitely consider an allocation to precious metals. I think a lot of things are cyclical. Nothing goes up forever. Nothing goes down forever. Um, I know we talked about the '60s and '70s, but let's fast forward. Let's look at modern times too. So let's look at 2000s and. and more recently. So 2000 to 2011, you had what we call a, a lost decade in stocks. I'm sure you could probably Google that. There's probably news about that, totally. where basically stocks didn't do anything. Gold, on the other hand, during that time, actually went up from $250 to 11, or 1900 in 2011. So it basically had a 7x move. And then you fast forward today, so 2011 to 2022, the S&P rallied. I mean, everyone has seen that. It went from 12 Twelve fifty to about forty eight hundred. It's certainly lower now today with with the correction. But I think a lot of times too, like things are cyclical. I think it's it's about time where that gold uh, your your gold assets are going to shine. Uh, may, maybe stocks struggle in the next couple of years and and gold performs well. So I would say definitely get consider an allocation to precious metals. If you want to buy um, physical, I would recommend you check out apmex.com. That's apmex.com. And if you're okay with a vaulted solution, check out onegold.com. That's o-n-e-g-o-l-d.com. As a special offer too for listeners, I do have a coupon code for fifty percent off the premiums for U.S. gold and U.S. silver on One Gold. So that's gold. Fifty off, so G O L D five zero O F F um, for that fifty percent off U S gold premiums and silver fifty off. It's so a silver blend promo.
0: Wow, brilliant, love it. Now, you know, uh, when I look at you know the allocation of precious metals, or at least looking into it, I think that when I hear and to the degree that you can trust information, that as it flows, because these days that's probably the biggest challenge, but when we see what's happening Russia Ukraine China Taiwan UK Europe all of these things that are happening overall and even the US not Canada however but that that's a different conversation loading up literally central banks are loading up on gold do you have any kind of confirmation of those facts or are those facts or is that all you don't know it's kind of speculation but it seems to me that consistently the messages, particularly Russia, China, have really loaded up, as well as the U.S., to the degree that they have. What's your What's your insider kind of view of that?
1: Yeah, so China and Russia definitely have been loading up, and the U.S. has had one of the largest stockpiles of gold, too. I think one thing to to consider, too, is, you know, sometimes people say gold doesn't have value, I and mean, getting back to our topic, too, you can't spend it, you can't eat it, whatever. Yeah. It, it makes you question why does the U S as one of the most powerful countries in the world hold gold. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if, if you don't own gold, maybe you need to consider that. Like, why would, why wouldn't it just liquidate it? Like if it has no use.
0: Well, I think but, that's a, yeah. And and I mean, why would even Russia and or China load up like they are? I mean, at the end of the day, we look at the shift of that view, by the way, you know, of what China and Russia have been doing over the past several years. And, you know, that becomes that whole kind of, I don't want to, I'll call it a separation, you know, that now sovereignty, if you will, that they're, they're going and, you know, they're kind of, pushing the West out of the way. You know, we don't know what's going on in behind the scenes politically, of course. These are all political moves, I think, that are happening, but they're going to have long term effects. So I look at it that, you know, there's the old phrase, follow the money. And, you know, if the money's going to precious metals, if it's going to gold, if it's going to silver, yeah, probably it wouldn't hurt to follow the money a little bit and uh, kind of take, you know, follow their lead, if you will. That's how I look at it.
1: Yep. Agreed.
0: Patrick I appreciate your time your energy the insights that you've uh, shared here today lots of great takeaways I love the topic by the way and when I look at you know my own allocation of you know precious metals it's a part of my portfolio of real estate and and some crypto in terms of Bitcoin specifically for me. But ultimately, that's the diversification that I look at is cash flowing real estate, having some what I would refer to as insurance in terms of precious metals. And then, you know, like I say, some Bitcoin along the way, because I'm still a big believer in blockchain, specifically, but also in Bitcoin as a future uh, currency, if you will. But you really gave some great insights into why precious metals? And I mean, you represent a, a huge dealer in all of this. And I don't want, I don't, would I call you a dealer, by the way? Is that the wrong term? It sounds wrong.
1: No, that, that's correct. It's a precious metal retailer or dealer.
0: Okay, great. So I appreciate what you bring to the table the expertise, the credibility. And, you know, for those uh, who are listening, take advantage. I'll put it, I'll post it on YouTube. I'll post the link, but ultimately take advantage and see what you can do. Look into doing some precious metals, you know, go to AppMex, go to one gold, take advantage of the offer that Patrick's put on the table. Patrick, thank you so much for your time and energy, buddy.
1: Great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener if you have any comments, suggestions or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo@raincanada.com. At That's c e o r e i n canada.com. I look forward to hearing from you and until next time, Patrick out.